This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Kara. And my name is Lisa. We talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and then we chat with an actor from the show or writer. One day a costume designer will be here. Yeah. Hopefully. We have a lot. Yeah. So excited to be reunited. We were reunited last week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun. Well, you posted a picture of us um, on the Instagram uh, recording together. And I think people were excited that we were in the same room. We have been doing more in the same room recording. Yeah, I kind of like it. Maybe this uh, drilling in my apartment building was a, a blessing in disguise. Yes. Oh, my God. Speaking of a blessing, I literally had a dream last night with Karen Kilgariff in it. And in in my dream... Karen and I had houses that were stuck together. They like, they were like adjoining houses. A duplex. Yeah. Like side by side. And for some reason, Rosie like let herself into Karen's back door. So we were just in her house and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Karen. I didn't mean to like break in. And she was like, no worries, just stay and hang out. And so like, I had my, I had like Rosie running around her house and I remember feeling like I should get out of here or whatever. And then I was like, okay, we're leaving by. And on the way out, I looked up and she had a massive, like abstract, very colorful, Homer Simpson mural on the wall. It was painted on the wall. Wow. And I was like, what does it mean? That's like, I'm there too. Yeah. 
And I was like, I could tell, like, obviously it wasn't Karen's real house. And so I texted her this morning and I was like, you were in my dream last night. My kids and I broke into your house and there was this Homer mural. And she wrote me back and goes, wait, I'm sorry. I lo- I got a new phone. Who is this? And I go, it's Kara Clank. And she goes, no, I have your number, but it's a different number. And she sent me a, fo- a screenshot of my contact in her phone. And it's a completely different number, but it's the same um first three digits it's like a new york area how code. do you remember the numbers on the screen of this dream how do you remember all oh, no, this? no no this is in real life oh okay this part's <laughs> in real life i text her being like i had this weird dream about you so she texts me and goes wait but i have your number it's this 646 blah 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 and i'm like that's not my number she's like but what about this and she takes a screenshot of a full text conversation that she's had with someone thinking it's me and we do not know who it is but they kept the jig up well, we think it might be somebody that she knows. It's somebody that was at a party that she had at her house because the person sent her a photo of me and I said no gifts host Bridger Winnegar and Karen's dog. And I was like, I never sent you this photo. Wait, I don't remember be, this photo. Can it be Bridger? No, I don't know. She has Bridger's phone number. So it's I think it might be Bridger's boyfriend, but she's like, we made plans. Me and this person made plans to hang out. And I'm like, well, Karen, I'd love to make a plan. Let's hang out. She goes, I thought I made one. It was just very funny. Is she going to meet the person she made these plans with and see what's up? (laughs) I don't know how specific their plans were. But anyway, it's just, we were saying maybe this is like a sign of, you know, like you had the same way as the the banging is a sign for us to spend more time together. Yes. And you, um, my dream was a sign for Karen to get my number straightened out in her phone. You, yeah, this is, this does remind me of the sex in the city episode where there's all these coincidences happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. With the luck. It's like the one with the, where she get the karma one. Yes. 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 The detective yeah. wants to fuck Miranda, whatever. When this, Miranda's out with the guy that's very hot. Yeah. Maybe this was a stretch. Yeah. Maybe this was a stretch. Um, wait, you told me something this week that I liked, but that you were so addicted to 90210 that you would ask, you would do chores to earn your time yeah. to watch it. Oh, I thought I told you that before you told- like on the podcast. Oh, maybe they all know. <laughs> you told me in uh, a social hangout and it's just like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch TV during the week. And so if there were shows like, if it was like the Dino prom episode, I'd be like, you gotta let, you gotta let me watch this. Like I'll die. If you don't let me watch this. And my mom would be like, clean the basement. You can watch it. And I'd be like, all right, done. Like I would fold laundry. I would like do any chores it just to be able to watch it. So much of who you are. <laughs> You're always sneaking in a chore to yeah. relax at night. <laughs> Getting things done is how I relax. <laughs> you said something happened to you at the guy now, which you've oh, kept no. secret for me. What? Well, I don't know. You no, told no, me. it was funny. No, it was just a funny moment because I went to the OBGYN today. And as I was leaving my, well, one of the nurses is walking me to the area to get blood work. And this like old woman. Come, so I go to a OBGYN that I've told you this before is, has my doctor is, is American. And then there's two Russian doctors. And so there's a lot of Russian clients. I'm always hearing Russian being spoken there. It's very, it's in West Hollywood. Like it's very Russian. So this old lady is like coming around the corner and the, and the nurse that's with me goes, what's she here for to another nurse? And she was like an ultrasound sound she's like i i don't have the room ready and she's like i I told her that these russian people (laughs) and it just made me laugh so hard because it was this old lady coming around the corner like you don't have a room ready for me i don't care like just get me into the ultrasound room (laughs) i just thought you would think it was kind of funny it is russian because the woman who said these russian people was russian well yeah the russian old russians they just like 
You think everyone's out to get them. Yeah. It's aggressive. <laughs> it's communism. It's you can't trust anyone. Everything's a secret. And so they think that everyone's trying to trick them all the time. And sometimes that's just the price. Yeah. You know, we can't haggle out of this price at Montgomery Ward right now. Well, that's so then I get in there to get my blood drawn. You'll love this is the second part. And the nurse goes, I mean, Sometimes these Russian girls, but this is, she's talking about girls. This is an old lady, but now she's like, I had this Russian girl in here the other day, Gucci sandals on big boobs, like, you know, blonde, like the full thing. You can tell she spends money on herself. She has a $100 balance here and she doesn't want to pay it. And I'm like, you're wearing $400 shoes. Like this is my nurse telling me all this stuff about, and it just, that, that tracks with what you were saying. Yeah. But I find myself. I refuse to pay medical bills. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. So Wait, maybe it's what? me. I have an outstanding like 900 something dollars left from a colonoscopy thing and one Wait, look, from a wisdom tooth bill. I get that. I'm like, you know what? You can't charge me interest. I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. I get that. Look, I had a uh, anesthesia bill for like ever that I just refused to pay. I understand because I was like pissed that they got someone who was out of my network. And I was like, I'm refusing. Eventually, they'll kind of just like you can like plead it down. They'll just they'll be like, what if you pay 200 bucks and you can like you can make uh, like uh, I know, haggling. but it makes me even more like but a hundred bucks at your OBGYN. Yeah, that's your. That's your physical. I'm not health. wearing I mean, Gucci. Yeah. <laughs> I have my coach fanny pack from my late teens. So <laughs> I love it. It's vintage. It is. I feel awesome in it. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I do. Okay. I have something to say about someone from an SVU guest star, beloved ludicrous. So there's okay. a comedian writer. I think he works for Colbert, but, um, Daniel Kibblesmith. Do you know? Him? Yes. I, I think I follow him on Twitter. He's really funny. Um, one of my old favorite jokes, this is from Chicago 11 years ago, but he was, he lost a ton of weight and people were like, how'd you lose the weight? How'd you lose the weight? And he's like, I just started telling people dolphin blood because <laughs> everyone wants a secret and there's just no yeah, secret. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. just have to do the things. And so he would just, I just love the dolphin blood thing. Just so wild. Whatever. <laughs> so he has a nine 11 birthday and so does ludicrous. Oh, so every year he says to make himself feel better. He'll go on Ludacris's social media to see what Luda's doing on his nine 11 birthday. And it's usually like, wild wild he, i saw what he was this year <laughs> yeah, it's like a big like indiana jones style statue right in a pool i just saw him motorcycle. in the motorcycle ocean yes. like looking like some baller isolated vote location and i was like you do you luda well i watched luda one year for my birthday so i don't know i just like that he's a virgo there. yeah a virgo! <laughs> he's a fellow virgo baby your birthday is next week uh, yeah. Or this week, yesterday. No, it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Today? It was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. When this comes out, it was yesterday. Um, well, it's so weird traveling from time zone to time zone and recording this podcast, like how we can in the intro. Like, it's just like, what is time? What are days? Nothing <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Did you watch Matt Gala stuff? I didn't watch. I looked through or dresses. Like Instagram I online. I don't have any strong opinions. Well, I saw your, I sent you a photo, a photo of your girl, Emma. Oh, Emma yeah. Chamberlain looked great, but like Noah, I don't know. I obviously. Uh, what about the Kim Kardashian full coverage? Why? It's, I don't get it, but I liked the comedy of it standing next to glitter. It was glitter. It was like the year of glitter. So I loved all the glitter, the sheer, sexy. Um, Iman looked cool. I wasn't so, I don't know. I think there's a little tackiness during COVID cool. with this. So, oh, I gotcha. Chloe finally, I mean, so, so watching Chloe on uh, Instagram was fun. She was hitting up all the shows. 
Oh, I didn't even. She see was her. in cool shows, walking show. I mean, it was it wow. was pretty fancy. I went to one Fashion Week show one time with Sabrina. Sabrina Jalise took me. Wait, is the Met Gala part of Fashion Week? I didn't even know that. No, it's usually in May. It's the first Monday in May, but because of COVID, it was like it was the end of Fashion Week. Oh, got it. for the fall. Got it. Um, she had a great dress, but yeah, a lot of. I actually found one designer obsessed with my supermodel who I love so much, Hillary Rada. Not to hate on it. She had a kid and her Instagram got boring. She moved to LA and I was like, this isn't what I love. And she <laughs> went to New York Sands Kid for a week. And, and so I was living it up <laughs> through her. I was like, yes, bitch, go, go. She was hitting up all her favorite old restaurants. She actually went to eat pasta where my friend Mateo took me to eat pasta. She was back at her Tracy Anderson workouts. I was like, Hillary, I've missed you, baby. I've missed you. I'm so excited to see you at Soul Cycle. Oh, man. I also want to say, I know we have to go get over it. Um, so I did a live stream show called Nowhere Comedy. I had no idea that it was even virtual. I was like turning down dinner plans because I was like, I have to get to this show. Right. It wasn't real. Uh, Kara witnessed this. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then there was a little meet and greet after. Anyone that was there, hello, that was amazing. But you, I don't think I told you this. So like there's a few people and then there's like a guy and he and he has long hair. He has rich vibes to me. And you can tell the background looks like it's Fight Club, like beautiful buildings. And I go, where are you? He goes, hey, I get cameos from you. He goes, um, we're here in Vegas and it looked like a sexy hotel, like a yeah. And I go, How long have you been there? He goes, A few months. So I'm like, Who the fuck is living in Vegas in this high rise for months? The other guy comes out, suddenly the alarm goes off in their room. They start jumping up and down. He's like, The alarm's going off. They don't know. I they mute us, and there's all this commotion, and then the footage cuts. <laughs> that is a cold open to an SVU. Yeah. And then we were all like trying to, you know, just taking doobie hits. Like just what we're like, what just happened? Did it, did they ever come back on? No. If he's probably listening, sir, you need to write to our email <laughs> or DM us on Instagram and tell us that you are okay. There was also another woman from San Francisco who was hysterical, who was like, oh, I have stepkids. They're the worst. Having children sucks. They're so annoying. I never get rest. And then you could see the husband in the background is just laying, listening to her. <laughs> There is. Kids. And then he slowly like <laughs> waves at us and she's like, it's his fault. And so like, I saw a lot. It was really fun. Oh so what's that girl? That was the best. I loved when he slowly realized we were watching him in the background <laughs> and waved to us. Amazing. Oh, thanks for that. Eventful. Uh, eventful. Yeah. Thanks have, for all being so kind and nice to us. Yeah. You guys send us the nicest messages on Instagram. It makes me like uh, blush. But let's get into today's episode because it's a good one and we have a great guest as usual and we have a lot to talk about. All right, let's get started. This episode is Book of Esther, season 19, episode 20. Which reminds me of Rosh Hashanah, if I'm going to be honest. Or Purim, Purim. Book es of Esther. Oh, yes. Esther, yes. Purim, Princess Esther, saving the Jews from death once again. You always wanted to be her for the... I always wanted to be her for like the Purim party. Yeah, I was like, how dare you include me? You never... We've never discussed this. No, uh, like, I meant... I meant you. I meant like the, the royal you of Hebrew school goers. Yeah, <laughs> no, we all wanted to be Esther. Um, we open on a slow pan down the hallway of this house to a door with like slats attached to the bottom of it. And then suddenly someone is like breaking the slats. And then we switch to the POV of the person behind the door. And they're we see this like 
just person like trying to escape essentially. And there it's like a young woman pulling the slats off and climbing through the hole into the hallway. She grabs a coat behind her. She runs to the bathroom and jumps out the window. Like it's like this, this person had a plan of how to get the hell out of here. So immediately an intriguing opening to an SVU episode. By the way, have you seen Cloverfield Lane? No. Might be a good watch. Oh, okay. I'll give it a look. There's an escape scene climbing thing that's cool. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. You know how you don't know when you're trapped and then you see the fingernails from inside, you know, type oh, of thing? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Like in, I hate to say it, like in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, so as this girl hits the pavement, we finally see her face. She's extremely pale, skinny. Her hair could use a wash. Uh, (laughs) She jumps the fence of the house and runs. She runs straight to a train stop. She was she's running through the neighborhood and like people are walking their dogs like no one's really offering to help her. But people she's kind of running up to people and then like going away. She's not saying anything to anyone. She looks frantic. Okay, like she's anxious. She wants to get the hell out of there. She runs to a train stop just as the train is pulling up. She looks anxious as fuck and then she jumps on the train like as soon as the doors open and the next thing we see is a train employee knocking on the train door like end of the line get the hell out of here and this is actually my friend margaret champagne maggie champagne she was the sundrop girl do you remember this i don't know what sundrop is sundrop is like this like citrusy soda that was trying to make they were trying to make it happen in like 2011 2012 and she wore like if you Google Sundrop Girl, you'll know what I'm talking about, I feel like, because I had friends that dressed as her for Halloween. It was just like a thing happening in commercials at the time. And Maggie was the Sundrop Girl. She's a great actor. She, I think, um, as part of like Amy Schumer's theater company or theater collective that she's in or whatever. But I know her through comedy from New York. And uh, she's great in this role as the you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Train employee <laughs> um, outside of your gal pal. Also, like this girl's coat is giant. It's like they bought a bunch of giant coats from Costco and it's like you'll grow into it type of thing. Like, yeah, it's just a very <laughs> giant coat. Yeah, it's very much a parka. When yeah, you think a of a parka. parka, it's got like a kind of a shitty like uh, fl- like a fur hood. And, I've you worn know, it's a parka. Like military colors for swim team. We got parkas. Oh, yeah, but they were probably nicer. Mm, they were purple. <laughs> they were used parkas from decades, from like the 80s that we rented for the season. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. But also talking, I miss Amtrak. I love an Amtrak hot dog. Get me to a train. Take me to D.C. Like, that's how I feel. Well, now yes. I'm in L.A. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like Amtrak or like Jersey Transit or Metro North. They all kind of look like a little similar, but... um. I think you're right that it was Amtrak. Oh, uh, I don't care. I don't know. No, the- no, no. I think I I really think you're right. Um, and so she's knocking. We hear sort of like uh, crying or whimpering behind the door. And she's like, all right, I'm coming in. And she opens the door and finds this girl like super, super scared, huddling in the corner, freaking out, like not wanting to like she she truly does look feral, you know, like she doesn't want to speak and she looks really roughed up. Next thing we see Rollins and Finn, the BFFs are on the scene. A uni's like explaining that she's an unaccompanied teen. She looks like someone roughed her up a little bit. Rollins tries to talk to her. She won't even make eye contact. She, she's giving off Nell vibes to me. Like she look, it's very, it's very Tay and Win, but she's in, in, uh, 
New York. So then we get the credits. And when we come back from credits, we're still in the bathroom. And Amanda's trying to give this girl candy in exchange for info. We find out her name is Esther. Which is so fucked up. I mean, I know this is going to work, but it's like you're taunting a starving person with candy to get. Come on. (laughs) Well, then... She tries to get her to give her last name. And then the girl recites some kind of scripture. And it's like, here we go again. Another another religious episode for us. She finally lures her out of the bathroom and she says to Finn works with Franny. So it's like you were just upset because she is treating this person like a dog. (laughs) Yeah. Like on purpose. And then Finn goes, but Franny's a dog. It's so good. (laughs) Like, yeah, Finn, we're with you. Um, So we get an idea of this young woman's like mental state here that like she's as pliable as a dog because she's being like fully bribed by candy. Rollins leads Esther to an ambulance. She's like, we got to call your parents. Esther's like, my parents don't have a phone. Then when like she sees the gurney, she she freaks out. And Rollins is like, I take responsibility. Like, let me get her in the back without the gurney. And like, it's a whole, it's a, it's a Rollins heavy episode. So if you don't like Rollins, I hate to say it, but she's with us for the long haul on this one. And so they're finally in the back of the ambulance. She's like, we need to get in touch with your parents. And she's like, I'll be punished. And she's like, why will you be punished? She's like, I'm not allowed to ride on the train. And Rollins is like, that's weird. Uh, She recites more scripture and Rollins knows it's from Psalms. I never really understand the, the Christianity of it all, like reading out words and being like, oh, that's. That's John 1712. I don't know that kind no, of stuff. No, at Christian college, um, I had to take the Bible, intro to the Bible. And t- before we went anywhere in the curriculum, we all had to memorize all the names of the books. Critics in order, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. Do you know them all still? Absolutely not. I'm sure. Well, you have such a brain. good memory. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I have to care. Um, <laughs> I actually, I forgot what, but I made that Bible teacher really mad, which makes me feel like I won. You know what I mean? If you get, (laughs) if you get angry and you're the professional, like you're wrong, you know, you shouldn't, I shouldn't be the, I shouldn't be testing your limits if you're, if you're the teacher, like, but you know, they believe in God. So (laughs) they'll get mad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, obviously Rollins is like a, a Southern girl. So we can kind of assume that she grew up in the church at some point. And uh, Esther looks so jazzed to have found another sister in Christ when Rollins is like, oh, is that from Psalms? Like Esther's like, yes, a sister. Did you ever have friends that wore T-shirts that instead of like crest toothpaste, it would say Christ? I certainly did not. Or like instead of Reese's, it would say Jesus, stuff like that. No. People in my town were like, were were religious and Christian, but it was kind of secret in a weird way. Like people would go to church and then there were these weekends called Emmaus. And like, I was never allowed to know what happened on Emmaus. And they would, they would like all be like, oh my God, I had Emmaus this weekend. It was so amazing. And I'd be like, well, what happened? They'd be like, "Um, I can't tell you. It's between me and Jesus, I guess. And so like, I, I always like knew people were doing religious stuff, but as like a Jew, it was part of my outsideriness in my town because I was one of three Jewish kids in my whole class, you know? Um, but so yeah, I kind of knew people were secretly doing Christianity, but it was never like wearing a t-shirt, <laughs> you know? Shout out to Sophia. Miss you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> she would uh, corn roll my hair during basketball season. So, <laughs> wait, did you ever um, have people read it uh, wearing co-ed naked T-shirts? I don't even know what that is. <gasps> oh my gosh! There, there's a whole series of sports T-shirts that say like 
co-ed naked field hockey, oh, make a yes. pass in the grass, yes. co-ed naked lacrosse, like getting it in the crease or whatever, like co-ed naked football, whatever. And those were a big controversy at my school. As I've told you, so were Simpsons t-shirts. Like, cause I had one that said, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? And I had to put tape over the hell. My sister had a shirt, you know, those posters where it has different people's emotions. Uh-huh. Like, oh, are you sad? Blah, blah, blah. But it was, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it was a dick. It was like a little <laughs> dick. Uh, 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 and it was like, beta, you know, like all the, and it was like this dick. Wait, what? Did your parents let her wear that? My, she was a grown woman. Uh, you know, she oh, moved to okay. America. No, she was in high school, but I'm just saying like, what are they going to do? She works and bought her own car. Like, you can't wear that. What, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if your teenager has to like make a living, like you can't tell them what to do anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. I guess. I mean, I was always working as a teenager, but I was not allowed to wear dick shirts. So to each their own, I guess it's all different. <laughs> she also had a little bear that had a zipper and it had condoms and cigarettes in it. And I did rat her out. You bitch. Yeah. Wow. I bet you were a challenge because <laughs> you were probably sometimes like cool, but other times you were like, I, well, I didn't know what it was. No, I smoked those cigarettes at Capri cigarettes. Sixth grade. I had Teresa and a couple other girls over and we smoked cigarettes and took shots. I smoked Capri's a little bit in college because we just thought they were a, a hoot. That's what I want for my birthday. Capri's. Yeah. All right. Noted. Writing it down. <laughs> um, Okay, so now at the hospital with Esther, we find out that she's extremely malnourished. She barely weighs 90 pounds. She has chafing on her ankles and wrists, which suggests she may have been tied up and she hasn't bathed in weeks. <sighs> we see. Uh, so he, they continue talking to the doctor, but they kind of switch the point of view so that we're watching them talk behind Esther and Esther's just absolutely housing a cup of yogurt as Rollins and Benson, like get more info from the doc. Um, then at the precinct, Finn and Carice are in Benson's office. Finn has a lab report that shows that there was semen found in Esther's underwear. Yikes. Um, Carice suggests that maybe Rollins take another run at Esther since they already have a rapport. So Rollins, still using her dog tactics, brings a pizza to Esther. And Esther, like, licks all of her fingers when she sees the pizza box. Like, it's kind of weird. She's just like, nom, 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 like, in a weird way. And then she sniffs the pizza before she eats it. So it's like, she's really excited. Um, and then, it's not, but I mean, I'm also very excited when pizza comes. Uh, Esther says she lives in a house and that she has brothers and sisters. And she said she left her home cause she's scared of her father, but they are like, did your father force you to have sex? And she's like, no, like that's very, um, that she seems very taken aback by that suggestion. Okay. So Benson and Rollins are talking it out on the other side of the one way mirror. And they're basically coming to the conclusion that this is religious indoctrination, but it's a little bit more serious than just for forcing kids to go to like mass and Sunday school, you know? And the lab comes back on the semen. Again, Neil Bear told us nothing comes back this quickly, but in the show, that semen is back in a lickety split. No, that's one of my biggest uh, pet peeves, I think. Maybe I'll write a joke, about, but when people are like, it's just so not realistic. And it's like, yeah, it's a show. What the fuck do yeah. you want? What are we going to put them in a different, in different, like have their hair grow to different lengths and have <laughs> them like be in different clothes so we can wait. Okay. Four weeks later, the lab is back. <laughs> yeah. You want friends and Carrie Bradshaw to live in a shitty apartment. Is that what you want? You want to see a person in a bad apartment? Fuck off. We want to <laughs> see fashion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's so annoying. It's just not realistic. Okay. Well, go watch a documentary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Move to New York. Be part of it. Um, okay. So the labs come back. Whoop. 
like in a gif on the semen and it is a familial match, which means it can't be the dad. It can be the bro. It could be a brother or an uncle. So now the gang is all gathered around and Rollins is like, Esther won't really give me any more info. Finn's like, there's no missing persons report. And so Benson's like, Rollins, get her picture to the media, which seems a little crazy to me because she's scared of her dad and he's going to see that. And that's exactly what ends up happening. So I don't know why they like just go to the media immediately, but um, Finn goes to, Oh, I think it was long Island railroad somehow is what she was on. I wrote that down in my notes. Anyway, Finn goes to LIRR to find out what stop she got on. The guy finds it in two seconds. This is all like kind of, um, you know, it's important to mention, I guess. Um, he, they also notice on the video that there are two other dudes on the platform, like teen boys wearing the same parkas. So he goes to like an army surplus store in Douglaston, which is like the town where she got on. And there's the, like, there's nothing basically this, it's a dead end. Some guy named David Johnson bought a bottle of them. That sounds like a fake name. The jackets are not le- yielding any information. So now the gang is all chatting again. They're going to give Rollins some more time with Esther. And suddenly a man walks in saying, I'm here about my daughter, Esther Labatt. His wife saw her picture on the news. They're like, why didn't you file, file a missing persons report? And he's like, we called the Tom's River police, which is in New Jersey, by the way, who told me to wait 24 hours. And they're like, oh, you live in New Jersey. And he's like, um, I don't know who those boys with the coats are. And Esther doesn't even have a coat like that. Can I can we go now? I'd like to take my daughter home. And Benson's like, well, we can't just give over a child if there's potential abuse. And he's like, Esther is not a child. She's 27 years old. Done, done. Like, that's a twist. because She looks tiny and teenaged. Yeah, like this episode really um, made me think like you think abuse, like psychological trauma, but you don't realize like, oh, if you don't go to school, you're going to be delayed developmentally or like if you're not eating properly, you're going to be emaciated. And it's all these side effects of abuse that I don't know if I thought about that much. Yeah. Where yeah. it becomes harder to escape when you look like a kid and you don't know words, you don't know how to spell like, fuck. Yeah. That's so you you don't know. You don't just have to go to therapy. You then have to like learn shit. It's just, oh God, the world knows like there's no edge of all the horrors. It's like it never ends. (laughs) Never ends. We keep trying to find it and we will never. So Esther comes out. She's like being escorted out. And the man says, praise Jesus and embraces her. And Esther looks like pretty terrified to be face to face with her dad again. She admits to running away. Like nobody took me. I ran away. And he's like, why would you do that? And she says, I'm sorry, Papa. And she's crying. And Benson confronts the dad about the semen. And the dad's like, I'm not surprised. My wife found that Esther and her brother had lain together, which is another thing like what you're talking about. You don't learn what's okay. You don't learn about sexuality. You, you probably have like, you know, human urges, but you're like, what do I do with these? What does any of this mean? You know, and you think it's normal. Yeah. You think it's normal. Yeah. So he's like, I paddled her for that, but I didn't abuse her. And Rollins is like, well, did you starve her too? And he's like, Esther fasts to gain spiritual understanding. I often join her and Rollins gets right up in his face. Like she's pissed. She's like, Oh, you don't eat for three weeks either. And then he's like, look, I know what we have an unconventional lifestyle. We live off the grid. We homeschool our children. But he's basically like, I know my rights. I'll talk to my lawyer. And if you don't let me out of here right now, like I'll, you know, there will be legal repercussions. And um, Esther's like, I do want to go home. My dad loves me. So there's kind of like 
nothing they can really do because she is a 27 year old woman who is voluntarily wanting to go back home. But Rollins hates a Bible thumping hypocrite. And so do we, you know, we can get with Rollins on that. Carisi downloads them all on what he found out in New Jersey, which was that Labatt got some kind of patent for a water filtration system. And that fun fact, incest is not illegal in New Jersey. Doesn't matter what age. Oh, I mean, I'm sure under 16, whatever the legal age of consent is, is probably 16 or 17. No, but, but then, we've talked about this. My favorite, you know, taboo. She can fuck her. She can have sex with her dad. Even underage? But no. she's in college. Well, that's what I mean. So yeah. incest between yeah. adults is not illegal anywhere. You can't tell two adults what to do. Right. I think it might be illegal in some states. I don't know. I'm sure Hannah we will should find look it out. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> So Benson's like, we don't have anything on this guy. Labat knows his rights. Esther wants to go. We can't do anything. And Rollins is like, I can't believe this is happening. And she's like tearing up. Like she has a real all immediate sort of connection with Esther and is very upset. No, that- I love when the detectives have a personal story. Yeah. And you know, a Novak's like fiance having schizophrenia yeah. and like Munch's ex having schizophrenia. A lot of schizophrenia, yeah. actually. Those are the only things yeah. I can think of. Or Finn with his neighborhood. I like when they have a personal connection totally what's the scoop on incest yeah let me give you the scoop on incest um new jersey and rhode island incest between adults is legal the other states no however neither state permits marriage so wait all other 48 states incest is illegal but only new jersey and rhode island allows it well then i wonder what happened in that svu in new york i think that was new jersey possibly she was going to college in New York, but it's possible that like all the incest was taking place in New Jersey. When we cover that episode, we'll look that up. That's yeah. very interesting. Wow. That's because I've been saying the wrong thing everywhere. I've been running around town being like incest is legal. Fuck your fuck your uncle. You know, <laughs> in all but two states, incest is criminalized between consenting adults. Wow. However, there are some caveats for like Ohio allows incest as long as the two adults are consenting. But yeah, New Jersey and Rhode Island are the are the two. And Joel wow. Kim Booster has a funny joke where he thinks that gay people should be able to fuck their cousins since they're not going to procreate. <laughs> so that's just a JKB bit. That's funny. That's funny. Joel Kim, baby. All right. Rollins is bummed and Esther is leaving and she's like, bye, Amanda. And Rollins is really emotional about it. So now at the top of act two, Rollins is like, uh, hey, Liv, can I talk to you for a second? And Olivia's like, can I live? I'm trying to go read to my annoying son, Noah. Let me out of here. And Rollins is like, I think I might just like take a mental health day or two. It's like the acting for Amanda's acting is bad. Like you can tell she's obviously like lying about needing a mental health day. Um, I think Kelly Giddish's acting is good. But um, Benson knows what's up. And she's like, you're going to really work this case on your own time. And she's like, just give me like a little bit. Give me some time. I know I can find something that which reminds me of a joke that Jared does about how his mom is a detective, but only for him being gay. And he's like, yes, he's like, yeah, he got married five years ago and he's got a kid. And she's like, just let me give me the resources. I know I can find something. (laughs) She's convinced he's gay. She well, no, she just like he wore a sarong to a temple in Thailand. And she's like, why are you wearing a dress? Like, it's like he's not gay. okay? he's just wearing a sarong because he has to cover his legs at a temple like she has a you know, well, she listens to this podcast. Lietta, you know, he's not gay. Um, (laughs) So anyway, Rollins is a detective for Esther being abused. 
not my husband being gay. And she's like, Benson's like, yeah, just you can go, but don't ruffle any feathers in New Jersey and keep me in the loop. So now Rollins is in New Jersey talking to this landlord who is, you know, the Tom's River house that he claims that he lives in, like where he filed allegedly the missing persons report about Esther. Uh, they go to this home and this man's like, yeah, he's three months in arrears, which I didn't really know what arrears was. So I looked it up and it's just when you owe three months of rent. And uh, he rented him this place four years ago. They go into the house immediately. Their faces like recoil. The house obviously smells awful. There's like scripture written on the walls. Never a good sign. Religious people are against like having like a big post-it note thing or like you know poster board like they always just want to write on the walls the place is in shambles there's a dead rabbit in the kitchen and it looks pretty gross you know uh, a lot of crap that looks like they just kind of moved out and left a bunch of shit there and the, the landlord's really sad he's really like my property like he's mad and then a nosy neighbor who we love i love a nosy neighbor in svu pops up and is like why are you going through the labot's mail that's a federal offense you know Rollins flashes her badge and is like that's my future nosy neighbor yeah i think that's gonna be my future i think i'll be walking around getting steps in looking into windows like i just i see it for myself (laughs) well luckily you kind of have a nosy neighbor i went to pick up a package from lisa and her neighbor had just been collecting her packages for her kind of nice which was nice which was nice, but just not telling you about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this um, neighbor basically is like the Labats moved out a couple months ago. They paid me. Uh, Debbie, the mom, paid me to forward the mail. It's in Queens. I think it's in Douglaston. So now it's like all this New Jersey bullshit has led us back to basically where she got on the train. Douglaston is where they live. So Rollins pulls up to the house in Queens where the address is from, and she sees the Labat parents getting um, all the kids into a minivan and driving away. So she follows them. They all get out. They're all wearing matching blue sweatshirts and black pants to go bowling. And they all have like a different pin and like a number of a bowling pin on their shirt. So it's like a weird, it's just a weird vibe. Like all these kids dressed up in matching outfits with bowling pins on their sweatshirts. And then he's like, could you please take a picture of us to someone at the bowling alley? And so they're taking this like sad family photo where all the kids look really like sunken in and like, not really great. Back of the precinct, Amanda's showing the photo to Finn and Rollins. He's like, there's nine kids. They all got to bowl one frame. The dad bought five hot dogs and split them in half for the kids. And the, the, I forget whether it was Finn or Rollins is like, maybe he's tight on cash. And Rollins is like, no, this is a patriarchal cult. He has them inbreeding and scrounging for food like rats. Carisi um, references the Turpin family out of California, which is interesting. And then uh, love when they bring in a real cry, like talk about the real stuff. Yes. So they say no complaints have been filed by, you know, child protective services or like neighbors. No one's called in any complaints in New Jersey or Queens, um, which is where Douglaston is, by the way. And um, Rollins is really heated about it. And Finn's like, you're taking this really personally. And she's like, if I don't, what am I doing here? Kind of a. You know, something to think about for the SVU detectives. So now Rollins goes to talk to neighbors in Queens. One lady is like, I don't know. We say hi once in a while and like, it's fine. And then she's like, what about the kids? And the lady's like, there are kids. So that's a red flag. I think when a neighbor doesn't know that nine kids live in a house. And then a guy neighbor is like, yeah, I seen the kids. They all look weird, pale, scrawny, wearing matching green jackets, the same sneakers. Like it's a uniform. The lights are on all night and the kids are marching back and forth. Now I never called anyone. Cause I didn't think they were doing anything wrong. It's like, what is wrong with you? This is very, um, I mean, we already talked about 
this, I think, a little bit in um, charisma, the real case of charisma, because it's it is a little tough with like calling child protective services because a lot of people disproportionately call child protective services on people of color, which they shouldn't do. But I would all, this is a white family in this case, but I would also say like kids wearing uniforms and marching back and forth all night. I would call someone just be like, hey, I don't know what this is, but. We'll talk about this for sure in the real crime about all the neighbors that witnessed stuff. And one of the detectives was like, people are just so scared of being wrong. Like, you can just be wrong. You can see something, say something, and then it's proven it's wrong. And guess what? You can all keep at least you did what you could, you know, like um, she was just saying there's like a fear of getting involved. Like, who cares if you're wrong? Yeah. Good. Good. If you're wrong. I mean, that would be the best case scenario is if you're wrong. Well, I think that like, I don't know, sometimes like moms in my mom group will talk about how somebody called child protective services on them because the kid was like screaming, but like kids scream. And so sometimes people are calling, I think, for racist reasons or reasons that are wrong. But I I, that's what I'm saying. It's difficult. It's like you're like, yeah, look, call. What's the worst case scenario? But like sometimes the worst case scenario is that they find a little bit of weed or they find something that's probably not that big of a deal. And like, they take the kids away, you know? So I, I don't know. There's a lot of, um, things to consider, but in this case, I would say kids doing like army marching back and forth at night, I would call someone, but also as we find out soon, there's other reasons. That and it's call. also with these neighbors. It's not like they saw it once. Like you lived there. Like you probably yeah. saw lots of weird things and then you never saw the kids ever. And then you see kids digging in trash. Like that's not just a kid screaming once at Chuck E. Cheese. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like a pattern when a pattern is established, go ahead and pick up the phone. Like, and also, um, we find out like, I mean, in the next scene, Rollins goes to their house. She's snooping around the outside. She hears a little girl crying mom and screaming from outside. So it's like, I feel like a neighbor would hear that. And these little kids are, I mean, what she sees is when she looks in the house is a little girl chained up yelling, I'm hungry, mom, I'm hungry. And she's chained around the neck with like a dog collar. So like, I don't know. I just feel like a, a neighbor could notice something like that. That's probably not the first time they've chained up their daughter and not fed her for a while. Uh, Rollins uses a knife and like Jimmy's the door open. She sees all these mattresses on the ground. She finds the girl who scream and the girl keeps screaming for her mom. And so Esther comes down and is like, Rachel, you mustn't cry anymore. And then she finds Rollins and is like, Amanda, you cannot be here. And then the mom comes down, the mom of the family, followed by the dad who has a shotgun and is saying, get the hell off my property. And then one of his sons is there with a gun too. And I think we recognize that son from the platform. So he's clearly lying. Like those boys on the platform were sent to like find Esther. So they knew she had gone on that train. Um, and then Rollins is like, you're making a big mistake, but she does leave. So when we come back to the top of act three from a commercial break on Hulu, um, now it's like a full standoff and there's tons of cops there. The ESU and hostage teams are on their way. And Rollins is like, well, I wouldn't consider some of the older victims hostages. They're under the influence of their father. And then Benson shows up and some Queens cop is like, why was your detective antagonizing the residents of my district? And lives like, okay, let's cut the shit. Let's not turn this into a turf war. And then the same guy tries to big time Benson. And she's like, I'm the one that'll be asking the questions. And I just love it when someone thinks they can come for Benson. Like you absolutely cannot. Um, He said there've been no complaints. And Rollins is like, well, yeah, you want to hear a complaint? There's a girl chained up like a fucking dog in the basement. So how about we move on this? And that's when Benson realizes that Rollins went in the house. She's like, you want in the house? Like, it's not, not great. And Benson is like, keeps saying like, let's not escalate this. Let's not escalate this. Like, 
They had thrown the guy a phone, but he wouldn't take it. So that she asked for a megaphone. She's trying to like lure Labat out like Mr. Labat. It's Olivia Benson. Please come out. Let's talk. And then no one answers. So Rollins is like, let me see if I can reach him through Esther. And she's like, I need to see Esther. I care about her. Can you and and I need to see her. And uh, he brings her out. And Rollins is like, OK, thank you so much for bringing her out. Can she leave now? And he launches into kind of like the crux of his whole belief system, which is uh, where would she go into a world where greed and ignorance are laying waste to our mother earth, where technology has corrupted our society with narcissism and alienation. Esther understands that the cataclysms foretold in the good book have come to pass famine, rising seas. She needs to shelter here with her family. So we're really kind of realizing that they're a little bit of a doomsday cult situation. And uh, Rollins is like, well, why don't you let her decide for yourself? Do you want to stay there, Esther? And Esther shakes her head and he's like, you address me, not my daughter, and like brings her back in. So this is not great. This is the opposite of de-escalation. And there is some shit now going down with the ESU captain and Benson. They're like, we want to put a camera down in this blind spot in case Labot pops off. We can respond quickly. And Benson's like, give me one hour before this escalates. And he's like stand down and i'm like how dare i mean i just can't even imagine talking to benson like that uh but this guy is like execute stage one of the plan so they climb up onto the labat's roof and they are trying to you know place this camera but they obviously hear them landing on the roof and they start shooting through the skylight the cops throw a smoke bomb down into the house and then out of the front of the house the mom of the family comes out with a few of the young kids But then there are all these gunshots from the windows. A cop gets hit. The cops start firing back. This is not good. This is a full like Waco kind of situation. They eventually all hold fire and they hear William scream and being like, no. And then suddenly the front door opens and the guns are getting thrown out. These semi-automatic like and long rifles are getting thrown out and he comes out with his hands up, but they have blood all over them. They go in to the house. They find two of the sons that had the guns are dead. Rachel is still chained up. There's a kid in the closet. They do a little fake out where the kid in the closet had his, has his arm hanging out of the slats. But then when they open the door, he's just like, I was just hanging my arm out of the slats. Like wow. he's not dead. <laughs> I just feel like, was it worth it, Rollins? I don't know. I it's know. like tough. It's really tough. It's like they would have all lived in torture and an awful situation for a while. Or a bunch of them are dead. Like, I don't know. Well, what happens is Esther, they go into the kitchen and they find Esther dead on the floor with a bullet in her head. And William asks basically the same question you're saying. He's like, you killed my children for what? Not like he's blameless, I will say. No, I hate that I'm on the same side as him, but it is Uh like you guys fucked up or like the Jersey people fucked up. Like if Benson had her way, I don't think there would be any deaths. Yeah, the ESU people for sure. Um, so Rollins and Finn are questioning Labat, and the kids are like, he's like, where are my children? And he's like, they're on their way to the hospital and then they're going to foster homes. And he's basically like, I don't really care. I know that they have my teachings and they'll be, you know, and, uh, Rollins is like, you're demented. And Labat is like, just ranting about the second coming and how Rollins is going to like, you know, be the devil's concubine or something like that. Uh, And so now, and then we flip flop with Carisi interrogating the mom and she's like, 
kind of what Lisa's saying. If that woman hadn't broken into our house, this wouldn't have ever happened. And Carisi says, don't you dare put what happened there out on us. Don't you put that on us. Uh, And he's like, explain to me how you could do all these terrible things to your own kids. And she's very like, open your eyes. The government is controlled by Silicon Valley. Technology is the door to evil, et cetera, et cetera. He had to be strict to teach them to be righteous. Like, I don't understand why, where God isn't cleanliness close to godliness. Like where in the Bible does it say, don't bathe your children? I mean, this, the star of the, the, I know fasting is, can be part of religion, but like, they're not bathed. They're chained up. Like, what does that all have to do with religion? But he's like, you knew it was wrong. You ran out of the house with the little kids. Like you knew something was wrong. Why didn't you like, why didn't you? And she basically implies that like, she agreed with what her husband was doing to a point, And then it started getting worse. It started getting a little bit more hardcore. And he's like, why didn't you leave? And she's like, I was afraid. I thought if I stayed, I could protect them. And she's like, am I going to jail? And Carisi's like, don't you deserve to? And she's like, well, what's going to happen to Jacob, my baby? So that's a reveal. She's pregnant, this mom with her 10th child. If all those children are hers, I don't know. They mentioned something about inbreeding. It's possible that some of the younger kids are like Esther's kids or something. Who knows? Um, Labat is still maintaining that he's a great dad. He's saying fasting brought them closer to God. I don't really get that, but okay. Um, Amanda is like freaking out on him. She throws a chair. They're like, Rollins, calm down. And she's like, like she hulks a chair out. Uh, And then Benson pulls her out of the room. And I would like, I mean, we have a lot of really cool ADAs and like private detectives and people that listen to our podcast. If you are a detective or you know someone who is, can you let me know if that's like a thing? Like, do people really freak out in interrogation and their boss has to come in and be like, Simpson, get out? You know, like, I just need to know. So if you have the answer, because I bet the bosses are like, I'll join in and hit him, too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they're stopping any violence. Right. I just like every time I watch a dateline and I see them interrogating even like a brutal murderer, they're always just super like even keeled usually. I mean, sometimes they yell uh, like a little bit. They're like, we know you did this and they get angry. But I don't know. I've never seen a chair get thrown. But of course, that footage wouldn't be out in the world. So anyway, I need my my listener detectives to let me know. So Amanda's out being pulled out of the interrogation. Benson's like, you need to get your head on straight because when this case is over and Rollins is like, no, the case is over. And Benson's like, I got news for you, girl. She pulls out a preliminary ballistics report that unfortunately reveals that the bullet that killed Esther was fired by Rollins, which seems kind of nuts because they only showed Rollins popping off like two shots and she was very far away from the house, like all the way over by the cop cars. And she was basically firing at the front door, not at like the windows where the kitchen were, but it's TV. So it's fine. Uh, but Rollins reaction here is like very heartbreaking. Like she's truly like crushed by the weight of this information. Benson's like, I'm so sorry, but like, yeah, do they you have know. to tell her? I don't get it. What, what, for yeah, what? because she, what has to, she has to deal with IAB and stuff that goes on your record that goes on your jacket. Oh wow. So like, she's like, don't worry, you're going to get an IAB lawyer. And I think you're going to be out in four. you know, you'll be back on the job in a few days. And, um, Olivia seems like kind of crushed too. She doesn't really know how to deal with like ball and Rollins here. So um, the final scene of this episode is strange to me. Like it's Rollins at church. She slowly walks down the aisle and sits in a pew. And then she kind of smiles. And then that's Dick Wolf, baby. But I didn't understand why she was smiling. Like God forgives you or Esther brought you back to Jesus. And so in a way she died for a good thing. I mean, what do you, what did you think this was 
I don't remember the smile as much as I should. It's not like a grin. It's not like an ear to ear, but it's kind of like a we're going to be okay. kind of like smile in church. And I'm like, maybe she felt protected. But the hypocrisy of religion is what caused this whole thing in your mind, you know? So I was confused. Yeah, I have to relook at the smile. I well, I don't know. (laughs) I recently went to a church in Philly and it was beautiful. It sucks that it's like um, so shitty because I was walking around being like, this is nice. It's nice. Why were you at the church? Um, I was just walking and I saw a giant church and I walked in to look at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. If there's a big church with open doors, I'll look in. Yeah. I love stained glass. Yeah, exactly. I like stained glass, ornate shit. I wish Judaism would welcome in more stained glass. It's really pretty. Yeah. Even the stained glass we have, it's like dark. Yeah. (laughs) Dark and little. (laughs) So true. I remember it from your place you were staying at in Skokie. A lot of Judaica. And I remember a few pieces of stained glass. Um, But of course, just when we think that this episode couldn't crush us enough, Lisa's going to take us through the true crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Welcome back. Um, I hope our ads were entertaining and persuasive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We do what we can. Yeah. Um, So the real case was mentioned, as Kara said, um, the Turpins, uh, David and Luis, and the haircuts alone on these people, you know, they're up to no good. If I just saw this man's haircut, I would call the authorities and say, I think you should follow this man. Um, Not to be trusted in any uh, way. So Basically, it's David Allen Turpin, Louisa Ann Turpin, and they were 57 and 49 when the crimes took place. And their love story is really creepy. They met when she was a teen and he was in his 20s. And as soon as she turned 16, she ran away to be with him. So already, you know, we don't love big age gaps with teenagers. That's not really our thing. But she had to run away because she was in her own abusive home. And so Luisa's sister explained this on 60 Minutes Australia, that they suffered a lot of abuse at the hands of their grandfather um, and the mom, their mom would let it happen and like kind of get money for letting 
them be abused. And even though it was a house of horrors and they were, and she, the sister was like, I know abuse people, abuse people, but I don't care. My sister fucking sucks. I have no pity for her. And I hope the worst happens to her in jail. So even though the sister is like, yeah, we got fucking abused. Like you wouldn't believe she goes, it doesn't matter. Cause it's also like, she also was abused and she did not go and right. have a bunch of children and ruin their fucking lives. So, um, you know, she does cry in it when the sister's talking, but she's just like pissed. She's like, I have no excuses or sadness for this bitch. Um, anyway, so within 15 years of the Turpins being married, they had eight kids and they dressed them in uniform clothing and raised them very military style, very strict. And then they ended up having five more kids too. But I think it's just like within the, to have eight kids in 15. I mean, to have eight kids is... Oh my God. It's a choice. It's a choice. Choices. But they had 13 total. Yeah. My mom is one of 14, so I'm very close to people who have made those choices, but go on. <laughs> it's just like, that means you're just pregnant or nursing most of your adult life. My grandmother was pregnant for like 10 full years of her life. Like that just seems not okay. I don't know. I know. It doesn't seem, ugh, whatever. So anyways, on the outside, when you looked to the family, they kind of looked wealthy and successful. He was an, an engineer and they would fly this, like the aunt and uncle out to visit. They it looked like they had everything they wanted. They went to Disney and Vegas all the time. So we know that they're cultured. JK. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, they loved fucking Vegas. They loved it. I fucking love Vegas, though. I'll say that. I, I if I maybe that's a test if you like both Disney and Vegas. But if I because I don't love Disney, but I love Vegas. I like Vegas. I love it. <laughs> I swear to God, Lisa. Wait until we go to Vegas together. I light up when I get to Vegas. I am so happy. Well, hopefully in Vegas. we're gonna work the world. <laughs> hopefully we are yeah. gonna go to fucking Vegas. Um. So in 1998, something kind of changed within the family and they fully withdrew from society and they were actually secretly bankrupt. So no more holidays. And then they started homeschooling and they lived in Texas for about a decade. So like they got to Texas around 2000 to 2010 and they were known um, in the neighborhood like, oh, those kids are weird and smelly. So like some of the neighbors were like, yeah, my kids would play with them. And then I said, don't ever play with them. They're creepy, but never why don't you invite them to our house? Let's help these kids out. It's like, stay away from them. And that's like, um, that's what's fucked with our, I don't know if it's our country or the time or what happened in our society, but it used to be like, it takes a village community. We're all together, the Quakers. And mm -hmm. then now it's like so individualistic that you look to your neighbor, you see these children are smelly as fuck. And instead of helping them, you just tell your kids to stay away. Like I, it's, I, you know, it's upsetting. It's upsetting, obviously. Yeah. And with hindsight, but like the neighbors, they said they remembered, like they saw one of the kids' hands were so white and she was like, Oh, I thought you were wearing gloves. And the girl responded, if you wash above your wrist, it's wasting water. And so you mentioned like, what does water have to do with religion and all of that during the episode? Yeah. And it's not a religion thing. It's like a money thing. It's like a saving oh. money where it's like only wash That's your hands. That's why they weren't bathing. Yeah. He didn't want to pay a water bill for nine kids to be taking baths and showers and shit. I get it. Okay. It's not religious. It's money. Got it. Correct. Correct. 
So in Texas, one of the kids did try to run away, but because she was so tiny and not educated, the person that found her returned her back thinking she was just like a disabled kid. And so she got sent back to the house um, and they got some unwanted attention from like the runaway and what was happening. So they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. So they moved from Texas um, to a place called Paris, um, which is 70 miles east of L.A. And that's where they lived. When this case broke, I remember reading about it. I lived in LA and I like Googled how far Paris was from us. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy how close these people Of course live. you remember this happened as it was happening. It, yeah, 2018. I mean, I lived here. Wow. I, so it was on the news and stuff? Yeah. Okay, so the 60 Minutes I watched was 60 Minutes Australia. So that's one of my Weird. sources. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually watched 60 Minutes Australia for another one of our cases. For some reason, they're into our crimes. I have no idea. Maybe <laughs> okay. not enough happens in Australia. <laughs> um, so they talked to the old neighbors from Texas and they said after the family, the Turpins moved, they like went into the house to see stuff and it was horrific. There were dead cats everywhere. Rats were running around. Oh, my God. They found chains, ropes on the beds. It smelled awful. And then they said there was like a bunch of new bikes on the porch that were never ridden and never used just rusted and so the dad was like that's even more psychological damage like we're gonna buy these bikes but you can't fucking use them it is so crazy that is so mean they did see the kids marching in the night in a circle that was a thing that happened no one ever caught like so annoying um yeah it's a house of horrors and they're very sad and they very much regret not calling or doing something and the interviewer was really kind of mean to them but i was into it but he kept being like do you regret it are you fucking idiots and they're like yeah we regret it we regret it (laughs) and they kept being like why didn't you call like they just the interviewer was pissed that these people didn't get involved and really and then the, the but like they weren't defensive they were like Yes, we fucked up. We're very upset. We're guilty every day like that. We didn't help these kids. And I mentioned this uh, while you were talking, but like the detective who found J.C. Duggar talks about how like humans like we have to be people of the community and follow our gut and intuition and intervene. And it's okay to be wrong. Oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, like you're like she just said, like our for humanity, like our gut and intuition Mm-hmm. is strong and we should listen to it more and i agree so in the winter of 2018 a 17 year old in the house got the courage to escape um and she alerted authorities that she was being held captive by her parents she used an old cell phone that she found in the house that didn't have any service or anything but you can still call 911 um wow. with like fucked up phones i guess and she, the new york times said that she had been preparing for this for like 2 years so she'd been getting the courage and the plan for up to two years. And then some sources say that some of the other kids knew she was going to do this and were helping. Um, but I cannot confirm that. So she called the cops and she's like, hey, I'm being held against my will with all my siblings. She told this dispatcher in quotes, I've never been out. So the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, uh, they found kids who ranged in age from two to twenty nine. Um, when they entered, like in Texas, the house smelled foul. It was dark and there was not enough food or water for how many children were in there. Um, some of the kids were found shackled to their beds and malnourished. When the cops asked the parents eventually, like, why were they shackled? They had no logical explanation or reasoning for it. Like the Turpins weren't like, oh, we do it because of it. Like they really couldn't give a good answer. Really? Yeah. They gave no answer of why the kids were shackled. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, seven of the 13 siblings were full blown adults, but they were so emaciated. Everyone thought they were children. The sheriff's office said the 17 year old looked like she was 10 years old. And not only were these children like starving, being beaten, shackled, but they were depriving them of sleep. They were forced to stay up at night and sleep during the day. Um, and I think that's to like hide them from people. Uh, They were given one meal a day and it was usually a bologna or a peanut butter sandwich. And that was it. The daughter, who was 29 years old, weighed 82 pounds. Oh, my God. The aunt said that they used to like Skype with the kids. And then when they started commenting on like those kids look thin or what's going on, the Turpins cut off all visual communication. And it went uh, straight back to just like phones only. And they weren't even released from the shackles to go to the bathroom. So that's like added to the smell. So not only are these kids not showering, but like they're shitting and pissing in the bed. I don't understand. Like, like, I mean, at least in the episode, there's this like crazy religious. The world is a fucked up place. I'm trying to protect them like thought. But these people don't even have a fucking reason. No, and you also don't want to just say like, oh, they're crazy or mentally ill because it's like so many people have problems with their mental stabilities. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's um, hor- it's unnatural too. like it's just unnatural to not be nice to your kid. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. OK, the 22 year old was restrained with chains and ropes on and off for six and a half years. Like, oh. This reminds me a little bit of like the Fritzel children, like they were all hunched down living in that basement and they were all so tiny and like looked much younger and, you know, than they were. And God, so horrific. Yeah, it's really horrific. And we can't keep blaming the culture because a part of me is like, oh, we're not community based or this and that. But then it's happening in fucking Austria. And they were like, well, it's the Nazis. And it's like we just blame everything besides people being horrific. I don't know. Um, so. The 17 year old, she said that David Turpin did try to sexually abuse her. He would pull her pants down and sit and like sit her on his lap and tried to kiss her on the mouth several times. But I don't know what tried means, considering like how would she fight him off? She's so indoctrinated and in chains. So I don't really know. Like there wasn't much about the sexual abuse in the households, but that's like the only thing I found. The mom would choke them and say, do you want to die? You want to die and go to hell. And that came out in the testimony in court. So. This that's legit. You're not, you know, you're not fucking making up stories in court. If any of the kids washed their arms above their wrists, they were accused of playing in water and chained to their beds as punishment. And of course, the children had cognitive deficiencies and showed evidence of nerve damage from such extreme and prolonged abuse. Um, The kids didn't know what a cop was or what medications meant, just like they didn't have any basic understanding of life around them. And that's what makes this like story even more amazing that like this girl who knew nothing just but knew she had to get out and call like the fact that she was even able to comprehend calling 911 was is like a miracle because they knew nothing. They just, they yeah. everyone had a really hard time interacting with them because they knew nothing about life or medicine, anything. Um, and then, then what's really fucked up. And I think what happens more often than we want to think about is he had state approval to run a private school in the family's home, the Sandcastle Day School. So this helped evade authorities because, you know, no teachers, no counselors, no one is doing anything. Mm. And the dad was an engineer. So it's a smart profession. They probably seem smart. And so it's pretty easy to get a school permit. I didn't know that. Um, but no, like, me neither. what the fuck? 
and we'll go back about the school stuff. But, I, you know, one of the detectives, I think, was saying, like, we should think about why people want to homeschool. Is it for the goodness of their children or what else is going on? Because why else are you homeschooling your kids? You're a freak. I don't care if that's stereotyping. Like what's going on? I feel like there should be routine checks or something by social workers. Like if you're like your kids never out in like any public services, how is there's no checks and balances on what you're doing to them? And of course, like Emma Chamberlain, my favorite YouTuber, she has to be homeschooled uh, because she had too much anxiety and didn't love school and she really loved this and she's like that makes sense or like uh, you know someone with anxiety like I understand homeschooling for many reasons I don't want to say everyone's a freak but I think there needs to be more investigations I'm like what is the reasoning here I don't know it's fucked yeah. up and the neighbors in Paris were like confused for sure because it is a walking neighborhood it's really residential you usually see people they were never seen but um One of the neighbors said they saw them once in 2015 hanging Christmas lights. And when they said hi, all the kids froze, were terrified and then ran back in. Um, The Turpins ended up being arrested and charged with nine counts, each of torture and child endangerment and false imprisonment. And the dad was also charged with lewd acts against a child. And this was in 2018. So they'd been living in like in Paris for like eight years before anybody found any of this out. Yeah. Right. They moved there in like 2010. And by finding out, meaning this like young girl was able to escape and fucking save her family's life. Um, And thank God there was not a shootout in this family. There's no um, there's no full blown murder here. Um, And then after all the all the neighbors had all these stories, you know, so all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. I saw a kid digging in the trash. Oh, yeah. They were marching all night. And it's like suddenly the floodgates opened with stories. Um, Mm. The mom's brother. So the uncle on 60 Minutes Australia, he was saying um, like when he saw the mugshot, he couldn't believe it. He's like, that wasn't my sister. Like there was nothing in those eyes. He's like, usually like the eyes are the window to the soul. He goes, those were that was a deranged human. It's like what you said about Marcus Wesson. Yeah. Yeah alligators fucking cold blooded um and then the aunt was like what's fucked is everything was a lie because she talked on the phone with her sister and it was just fabrication so it's more it brings up the question of like was this a victim of a cult or whatever but it seems like she was diabolical in a way because she was keeping up these lies and stories so she must have known what was happening was fucked up if she was lying to her sister about their day-to-day life so um this idea of like maybe she was also a victim i mean she was she was like taken as a teen ran away like it's just fucked but she knew what she was doing was wrong or she wouldn't have had a fake undercover story of lies. Their bail was set at $9 million each. And then another article said $12 million each. But either way, that's a high ass number. So the courts hated them. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, that's big. But they pled guilty, which. Oh, wow. Is nice. That's nice that they didn't put their kids through the trial. I don't know. If they had pled not guilty, I think there would have been a trial. I mean, they probably still would have been found guilty, but like, you know, the kids would have probably had to testify or the adult kids that were traumatized, you know? Um, But during the sentencing, multiple of their children did make statements about how they are haunted Mm. by the abuse. And through the testimony, we learned even more details about the abuse. One of the daughters said the shackling happened because the parents were scared they would consume too much sugar and caffeine, but they kept buying soda because the dad had to drink it. And it also came out. It was a religious home and they were told this was God's will. 
Um, but one of the kids asked for leniency and said that 25 years is too long and that they did the best they could and that they went to Disneyland in the Grand Canyon. So I bet the other siblings were like, shut up. What are you doing? (laughs) Um, The criminal couple, they cried and cried and trembled during all of these statements. Um, Mr. Turpin said he did not intend to harm the children and uh, will miss and pray for them. The mom cried um, and she wanted to hug them and say how sorry she was and just wanted the best for them. The judge was unmoved by any of this. Um, The judge's name was Bernard J. Schwartz, and he gave a little SVU style statement. He said, we've heard, uh, this is kind of, you know, like I love on SV when they're like, your parole officer hasn't even been born yet. It's kind of one of those. And he said, to the extent that they do thrive from today, it will not be because of you both, but in spite of you both. So give it up to Judge Judge Bernard. Um, And I love the name Bernard. It reminds me of the little, the rescuers and rescuers down under. Yes. Bernard and Bianca. Yeah, uh, underrated, oh underrated, yeah. under talked about rescuers down under. That's how I know about a lot about Australia. If you <laughs> ever want to get a uh, little mouse tattoos, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. Uh, and they were in love. I feel like that was my most healthy relationship I ever witnessed as a kid. I was like, oh, these little mice, they really like each other. And they were like feminist, you know, like she got to she was the leader and he was like scared right. all the time. But <laughs> So I learned a lot from them. Um, they were sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Not Bianca and Bernard, but David and Luis. <laughs> Seven of the adult children. I mean, Bianca and Bernard saved kids. That's what they did. So yeah. they are SVU, too. Um, seven of the adult children moved in together and went to school. Some went to college. Some, you know, learned how to ride a bike and gain their independence. State and local officials had to explain how these things could have occurred in a private school that the state sanctioned. So there were a lot of things that were being looked into. Ah. Um, the Department of Education registered the school, but had never been inside of it. So maybe the state was a little too lenient in handing out private school licenses. In California, you have to fill out at least some paperwork to make it legit. But in Texas, you don't have to submit any documentation at all to homeschool. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, we really need to examine, like, these authorities or whatever boards are in charge need to examine if homeschooling is best for the kids or is it to hide some fucking secrets. So that's pretty much it. I'm glad the kid, like all these people have their own privacy. It was hard to find out how they're doing now, but I think they are able, I think they, you know, are getting the therapy they need. One went to college yeah. for engineering. Like they are, they're working on it. Um, yeah. but I'm sure they have a lot of long lasting trauma, but I'm glad these fuckers are in jail forever. I'm really proud of this girl for escaping. And, yes. um, We should. I mean, I wish I was more studious. I would have loved to do more research on homeschooling and every state and every law and how it works. But that's not what you guys are getting from me. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't think that's what they're here for. But maybe we can. (laughs) Special episode inside look at homeschooling Um, (laughs) from two totally unqualified podcasters. I know. I just and I just never thought about it. It never crossed my mind that like. You don't even have to submit and no one's checking and there's no curriculum and you're just getting money. It's like I just never it never crossed my mind. So I'm like I'm grateful to have a new issue to be um, aware of. But totally. I'm really excited for the interview. It's someone that had an incredible performance and listens to the podcast, which 
is exciting. That doesn't yeah. happen very often. Yeah, we're really excited. Yeah, you know, Marsha Gay Harden's not listening. Okay. <laughs> Maybe she is. That would be wild. Um, anyways, stay tuned. All right. We are very excited about our next guest, as we always are. But this was a particularly lovely lady to speak to. You guys have seen her on Criminal Minds and Station 19. She's got movies that she's been in. One is called A Dark Foe, starring Selma Blair, and another one called To the Bone with Keanu Reeves. You can see her in the upcoming horror film Two Witches. But to me, she will always be Esther Labatt. Please check out our convo with actress Rebecca Kennedy. So... We're assuming you were a fan of SVU before the part came about. A big fan, huge okay. fan. <laughs> Never imagined myself even being able to be on it. So <laughs> it was a nice surprise. Was it your first time auditioning for SVU? It was. It was my first time. Wow. So I had very no expectations of booking it, even though I fell in love with the part when I was auditioning. I did not expect it all um, to, to be actually be able to do it. So it was a huge surprise. What was the audition? Um, like, did you have to do like these intense scenes where you were like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like all your whole part was intense. Did you have to do like those scenes in your audition? Like, do you remember? Yeah. So it was like nine pages of sides. It was pretty much almost every scene that you saw in the episode was in the audition, save for like, obviously like the running and, yeah. you know, getting on the train and, um, some of the little scenes in between, but all the big dialogue scenes, um, or just the big scenes in general, all in the audition, which I'm sure because they cast off tape, they wanted to make sure that whoever they booked could do the full, I'm sure full scope of the role. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, it was intense. Um, I had, Gosh, I got it on a Friday and it was due on Monday. So my, my gracious friend came over and helped me tape and she's amazing. Um, I give her Shauna, give her a shout out, huge credit to <laughs> why I booked it. Cause she just really was able to give me such great stuff to work with as an actor, um, reading with me. Cause she's an actor as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it was definitely intense. <laughs> Yeah, well, you've uh, we saw somewhere, maybe it was on um, on your Instagram, but that Esther was like a dream role for you. Can you go in like what made it such a dream role? Besides, obviously, it's SVU. But. <laughs> yeah, that definitely uh, was a huge part of it. Being on the SVU legacy was huge. Um, it's it sounds weird because she's such an interesting, you know, sad story to say it was a dream role, but to be able to, you know, get into someone's mindset to be able to tell that story. Um, you know, it does happen. It does happen to women every day, you know, maybe not necessarily that story, but a story that's similar and to be able to tell that story and to be able to hopefully do it justice, um, was really important to me. And I don't know, I just loved being able to tell stories that aren't often seen. So that was partly, and just, I don't know, she was just such an interesting mindset of a character as well, being able to just think about what she w went through. And, you know, I'm very blessed in my own life <laughs> to not have gone through that. So I just loved being able to tell her story. And I'm just glad I was able to. Yeah, I mean, this is like the third or maybe fourth episode that we're covering that deals with like cults like stuff. So, you know, it's not it's a lot more common, I think, than even we think, you know? Oh, oh, yeah. You know, they have the whole thing dealing with a lot of that on Handmaid's Tale, you know, marrying yeah. um, at 14, you know, that happens. Um, it happens to to people. And, you know, there's so many stories of kidnapped people or people held being held hostage in their own home. 
and it's kind of glazed over and to be able to bring that to light a bit and to be able to show that and share that. And for anyone that's watching to be able to say, Hey, that's my story. I get that. Um, it's just really a great experience. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the running. I was like uh, immediately gripped by that opening escape sequence. It was very terrifying and it involved like a lot of, you know, jumping and scaling fences. I mean, did you do that? Or I think we saw you may have had a sun double or. Yes. Um, anything that looked hard was graciously done by my amazing <laughs> stunt double. <laughs> you know, the falling out of the window onto the ground uh, was not me at all. Cause I would definitely not be getting back up if that was me. <laughs> the, the running was me. The scaling over the fence was her. They, they were, they're so nice. You know, they want to make sure you're okay. They're very concerned about your, about your safety, which, which they should be. Um, you know, they were like, you know, are you able to, to just put your leg over and look? And I'm like, yeah, I think, think I can handle that. <laughs> you know, I can handle that little part, but she made me look great. Um, a lot of people thought that was me. So props to her. I definitely did until I think we saw on your like Insta, we saw your stunt double and I was like, that was a stunt double. Like I definitely <laughs> thought it was you. Well, your yes. Instagram was so nice to look at because you were, it seemed like you were as excited as we would be to be on that show. Like there were just so many photos <laughs> yeah. of you and Mariska and on set <laughs> and with the director. And it seems like you've seen people from the show, like after the show. And it's just like, it was nice to see. I don't know if there's a question here, but. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I was ex as excited and tried not to fan girl while I was on set, <laughs> trying to be professional and uh, not freaking out that I'm in the, you know, in the squad room and all of right. that stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's great to be able to be on stuff that you're fans of as well. Like she was like in her twenties, right? Correct. But everyone thought she was a child. So I guess like, was there anything that you did in your performance on purpose to show that or like trick the audience or you just played her like a kid? Yeah. I mean, there were some choices specifically, like if you guys remember, um, like the, it was part child part the fact that she didn't get to bathe regularly. Mm. Um, when they brought the pizza to her, she licked her fingers. Oh yeah. Um, which wasn't in the script. Wow. Um, which I made that choice actually in my audition. Um, and I, then I kept it to kind of signify both, like you said, both that she isn't a child. And then also the fact that, you know, they only got to bathe like once in a while. So it was kind of her ritual of like being able to clean her hands, her hands. um wow. before eating. What a choice. That's really that is that is a good choice. Cause I remember seeing that and being like, well, that's creepy. And like <laughs> I assumed it was written. And that's really cool that you added that in. Yeah, they were great about letting us, you know, obviously you can't go off script because they wrote the script and and the writers are amazing and you don't want to like mess up their their words. But they were great about letting you do physical stuff that wasn't in the script um, and letting us kind of play and um, yeah. see what what comes and and Kelly was so amazing and would just go with whatever I did um, and we both would play off each other she was just an incredible scene partner as well that's good to hear yeah what so our listeners and you've probably seen really are do not love Rollins <laughs> um, but you worked so closely with her and you guys obviously had a rapport is there anything that you can let us all know that would change our minds about <laughs> how much she's hated. And not, and not you Kelly, know, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kelly is so talented. I mean, that's the thing. It's like that scene that she breaks down at the end when she finds out, yeah. you know, that her bullet was the one that, that killed me. I mean, I know how they shoot. They shoot quick. You know, TV, you do not get a lot of time. You know, you get 
if, if they have two cameras, you get more takes, but it, it's not like a, a film where, oh, you have, you know, all day to shoot this scene. They, they got to move on. So I know how difficult that scene would, would have been as an actor to nail every single time. And every time I watch the show, if I, if I watch it, when it comes on, I'm in tears every time I see her do that scene. She just is incredible, incredible actor. Um, it's a hard part. You know, I love, I like that Rollins is flawed. I like that she has a lot of issues that she's working with. I think that's partly why she was able to relate to Esther so well, because she's not, she's not perfect either. You know, she has a lot of things going on. She has a lot of things with her sister, sister and her family and things that have happened to her. Mm-hmm. And she could relate and see this scared young girl who's just looking for someone to love her. And in the end also wanted to be able to save her family, but didn't know how. So I think that's why we, as our characters bonded so, so well. And then Kelly, of course, was so easy to work with that. Um, it's interesting. People are like, oh, you had such great chemistry. And it's not something that we worked on because you, you don't get a chance to work on that. You just, you show up and you hope that you like the person and right. you like the actor and that the actor gives you something. And she just came with stuff every day, just filled me up. Um, so I think that, you know, despite her decisions, you know, as Rollins aren't always maybe what everyone loves, but as a person <laughs> and as a character, she's incredible, I think. Well, that's good to hear. We always hear, we hear a lot about how amazing Mariska is. And it's nice that, you know, there's some other people on the set that people are bonding with. Yeah. And of course, Mariska is great. I mean, I didn't get to work <laughs> yeah. with her as much. Uh, we worked the first week and then she was gone, but, um, you know, she was very lovely, of course, and very supportive and gave me such encouragement when she was done and we were leaving and, um, big props to her because, you know, she's been on the show for so long and she runs a beautiful set and it's, it's a place that is encouraging and nurturing and fun, but also you're, you know, obviously tackling really deep, dark material, but it it feels like a safe place um, as well. Well, speaking of working with other actors, I did want to mention that my friend Maggie is the Metro North lady that finds you in the bathroom. Yes, yes. Margaret Champagne. Amazing. <laughs> a very talented actress. I do yes. know her from New York. Um, we wanted to know about that train. Was that a was that a real train or was that a bathroom? Like the bathroom? It was a real train. Oh, wow. <laughs> did they clean that bathroom up for you or what? I mean, I think so. Um, you know, I imagined when, uh, it's funny because you imagine on a big show, they like build a bathroom. Um, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, it was a real, real bathroom, a very small bathroom. Um, at one point the director was just like, give me the camera and <laughs> just started shooting it himself because there was really only space for right. the camera and the two actors or whoever was in the scene. It's funny. You mentioned the train. There was the scene where I'm getting on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they were like, okay, so the next train doesn't come for another half hour. So um, we kind of got to get this shot. And I was like, awesome. No Whoa. pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. And they were like, okay, so the, so the train's going to stop and you're going to get on the doors right in front of you, wait five seconds, um, and then get off. And I had, I'm like, okay, great. And then, you know, we call action and I have the thought in my head of like, okay, is it five milliseconds, five seconds? Like I'm, I had the, you know, the, the friends Ross moment where he's getting the tan and he waits too long, <laughs> but the train stopped and the doors were on the two sides. And I was like, Oh no, what, what door? Because they didn't, it didn't stop in the middle. And so that moment where I'm like looking is like very real because as an actor, I was like, I don't know which door to go into. <laughs> so yeah, it makes, you know, 
it all makes it uh, that much more real for me as an actor as well. I have to do a lot less imagination when it's all there in front of me. <laughs> yeah. And Maggie's great, by the way. She's so nice and great. Oh, yeah. She's she's a gem. I love her. Well, and this is an environment, but I'm assuming like the hair and makeup and making you greasy probably helped. Yes. <laughs> put you fully in that. What was the process to like make you roughed up and greasy? So I had an amazing makeup artist. Um, he was great every day. He was just he's so gentle um, to you. Just like barely, I barely, like, barely feel like he's touching me. He's just like the, the most gentle hand. Um, yeah. At one point they were like, actually, can you just not wash your hair? Cause I would go home and I would wash it. Um, and then I would just let it air dry in bed. Cause then it kind of already has that crazy look and then they could just put stuff in it. But at one point she was like, actually, can you just, I'm sorry, can you just not? And I was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, all of that kind of just keeps it going. Cause you know, while you're, while you're filming, um, you know, I was in New York, so I was away from my, my husband and, and, and alone. And so all of that kind of just helps influence the character. So it, it's an interesting, it's always fun and interesting what they're going to do and how they, um, and it, you know, it comes out very easily, but it's great. Cause I don't have to worry about looking good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you eat the pizza? Um, I did take a couple bites. It wasn't great. It was cold. Yeah. <laughs> But the candy was good. The candy was like a mix of M&Ms and Reese's, which I love. And then the, (laughs) and then the yogurt, they asked me what kind of yogurt I liked, which was really nice of them. Um, and it's funny because strawberry, I like strawberry, um, when when it's like the yo play, just like basic. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's funny, the guy that played the doctor, um, Eric, he didn't realize until he watched the episode that I was eating behind him because his back is to me. And so he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize every take you were eating all of that yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yep. (laughs) Where did they shoot all of the like scenes of you guys outside and like the house and everything? It was supposed to be Queens, right? Or it was supposed to be Uh, Queens? Yeah, I mean, it could have been. Um, Yeah, yeah, I kind of just get in the car and go. So I, I never... I should look more where I'm at, where I'm at. No, don't. Um, <laughs> these are, our, these are our freak questions where we're like, where are you? What's happening? Yeah. Well, it's times? funny because there was at point, um, we filmed there all day. And at one point there were people across the way that had just put up like lawn chairs and were watching. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I loved it. I was like, I know they're not here for me, but it's so cool. <laughs> oh my God. I would love to sit out on lawn chairs and watch SVU be made. That is so cool. There is a Twitter account that tweets where they are regularly. Okay, oh. what is that? Um, we got to find it. Well, no, you don't, you're not responsible for that. I we'll, uh, <laughs> can't remember the, the Twitter <laughs> name, find it. Um, but yeah, they definitely, they, they will tweet out where they're at pretty much every so day. So dangerous. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Oh, that was so lovely. She was such a nice person. I just love when somebody who loves SVU as much as we do gets to be on it. Yeah, if you are interested, which I assume you are, her Instagram is filled with behind the scenes nuggets. Yeah. And like I said, she's met up with all these people at bars and hangouts. So she was very She gave us a lot of fun scoop. That was fun to talk to her. And Rollins love. Yeah. That is a perspective we don't get often. So that was like very amazing. Yeah. Though I will say, I feel like every Everybody loves Kelly Giddish as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait for, I mean, I wonder if she's going to be like, Hey, you dumb bitches. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for well, shitting on I'm me. I'm sure for years. she knows that Rollins makes some really bad fucking choices. Uh, 
But let's, uh, what did we learn from today's episode besides some people like Rollins? What's Whoa. our, let's postmortem this shit up. Well, I feel bad because I just remembered something I wanted to say in the intro. So I'm going to ruin the postmortem and okay. say something. That's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I just, oh, I also paid money to get the untucked season 11. I had to see I couldn't not. Oh, I, 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 they they record on my cable altogether. So I've seen a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I listened to a podcast that was helpful to my life or detrimental. We'll see what the, but it was, it's called first podcast in the world. Something like that. that's the foster sisters, Aaron and Sarah. I'm not vouching for them, their personalities or the show as a whole, but they had a friendship expert on that is a female friendship expert. And it was like an hour and a half long. I, I fast forwarded their intro. Hopefully you guys don't do that to us. Um, <laughs> but uh, this woman with the sisters talked all about f- the complexities of female friendship and how to solve problems and move forward yeah. and do all these things. I need to listen to it because you sold me. It sounds really good. I'm into it. So if that's something that you think um, her big thing was like, we just think friendship's so easy. It looks easy from the outside. And so if it's not easy or if it's like hard for you, you think, what's wrong with me i suck but actually it's kind of hard for everybody yeah and friendships evolve and change yeah and she was talking about like with men they really suffered during the pandemic because like women communicate so we got to still facetime but men couldn't play basketball anymore (laughs) and they were all so sad no my husband is like uh who do i call to go out like when things started loosening up and he could go out a little bit he was like who do I, I'm like, you have dozens and dozens of friends. You just like haven't talked to them during the pandemic because you don't like, I don't know, men just like don't make the effort as much, I feel like. Yeah. And they talked about like having kids and then you're so busy, you let go of your friends and that makes people sad. How yeah. to end friendships. Yeah. Um, how what happens when in, people in your friend group are fighting, but you're not fighting? Like just kind of mm-hmm. stuff. That was very helpful. interesting. You know, we're not just murder, murder, murder. Yeah. We're, we're complex people. We love to talk about friendship. <laughs> yeah. I love when people on the um, reviews, the people that hate us are like, these girls don't even seem like they like each other. I'm like, you, okay, I didn't move Lisa out of her apartment because <laughs> she's given me anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> just so funny to me. I'm like, we actually talk like every day and are very good friends, but people think it's a ruse. Yeah. I just think sometimes we're both kind of direct or over it and then we show it in our voices. Or maybe, maybe me. Just me? Oh, so you're over me? No, no, no. We gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, when it's like, oh, yeah, I I think we're maybe, uh, well, we disagree too. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we are what we are. Yeah. But let's be people that are doing a postmortem on their podcast episode. So, Um, what did I learn overall? If you see something, say something, but just make sure that you're not being racist, I guess. I mean, like if you see kids like that look clearly unbathed and starving, it's okay to call someone, you know, personally, I'm sleep training my baby right now. And he screamed last night for a solid hour. I was going in to check. It's a system of like checking on them where you go in and you can touch their tummy and say, it's okay, I'm here. But like. Anyone, if I lived in an apartment building and someone could hear, they would think I was like abusing my child. But it's like, you don't always know what's going on, but use your gut, like trust your gut. Like when you see a family of children that look like they are in some kind of starvation army. Yeah. Matching outfits. That's that's a sign. Yeah. Not if it's Easter, but if it's a casual (laughs) day and they're all like in thrift store denim dresses. Yeah. Might be a problem. Yeah. And it's also like... 
yes, the ice caps are melting. A lot of bad things are happening, but I don't think the answer is to keep your kids locked inside having sex with each other. <laughs> right? No, were these ones? Oh, yeah. They were. Yeah. They didn't get into that, but Esther did bone one of her brothers. Yeah. They didn't get into it that much. <laughs> um, Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Did we learn if it was worth it or not? I don't know. She's dead. Because some, Yeah, but some of those kids are out. And that new baby Jacob that was going to be born, like some of those kids now maybe could have more normal lives. But then again, they're probably in the foster system, which is not always the best. Yeah, I also wish there was just more protection. Like, I wish she never went back with him, but there was nothing to do. He's just evil. Don't. And it's like, should the aunt have done something? But they didn't know. No one knew. Yeah. They knew they were sinister evil. I guess we learned evil is everywhere all the time. So close your blinds. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> but we also learned about the resilience of the human spirit. These kids are riding bikes and going to school and, you know, there's, they've transcended their Someone's circumstances. taking t- care of them. Yeah. And they're working on, yeah. And um, bravery for sure. Mm-hmm. Bravery, escaping, doing it. Yeah. I was so into just Book of Esther, Book of Esther. I forgot about the full real case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that segues beautifully right into what would Sister Peg do, uh, which is our weekly segment where we give you guys organizations, charitable organizations, websites, books, things that can give you a little bit more info and insight into what we touched on in today's episode. And today I wanted to highlight a group called Journey Free that has a course that you can take called Recovering from Harmful Religion. And uh, it's Journey Free dot org and they are dedicated to helping people transition out of harmful religions recover from trauma and rebuild their lives and we actually were recommended this by uh, a former guest on the podcast from the episode intent we spoke to Tanae in triago who was so awesome and she had told us um, i'm not sure if it made the podcast but she had told us a lot about how she took this course because she grew up very religious and to untangle herself from the religious indoctrination she had undergone. She took this course and she, uh, I contacted her and she gave me the information and said like, she recommends it really highly. And, um, they have programs for individuals and groups, retreats, online support groups, workshops, resources, tons of stuff. So yeah, check out journeyfree.org for more info on that. Thank you so much. And next week we will be covering the episode pretend. Highly requested. Oh, yes. Season eight, episode 21. So we'll see you next week. Peacock, watch it there. Hulu, or find your own path. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Bye. messed up is an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at that's messed up pod and on twitter at messed up pod and follow us personally at kara clank and at glitter cheese as always please see our show notes for sources and more information thank you so much to svu superfan and our incredible producer hannah kyle creighton and to our sound engineer and personal hero annalise nelson and to henry kapersky for our theme song to carly jean andrews for our artwork thanks to our executive producers georgia hardstark karen kilgariff Danielle Kramer and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs>